Welcome back to the podcast. We are continuing today in our Keep the Fires Burning, a study of the minor characters of the Bible. But before we jump into it, I want to let you guys know a little bit about the ministry here at Evidence for Faith. Evidence for Faith is completely donor supported and we're currently looking for people to come alongside us, whether it's with one-time gifts or with monthly gifts to help support our ministry. We're currently just over 50% of our monthly need for this year. So these donations help cover salaries for full-time staff so that their time and talent is uh, paid for. And it also helps cover a lot of the missionary work and operational expenses um, outside of the podcast. So the podcast is not the only thing we do at Evidence for Faith. We actually do a lot of speaking events at different groups, churches, schools, um, basically any group that asks uh, for us to come. So, and some of these places are not as financially blessed as others. So donations really help cover that little bit extra of traveling costs or whatever it is we need to help reach these different places. So all the donations Evans for Faith go straight back into the program, straight back into our operational expenses and straight back into um, helping this ministry keep going. So if you'd like to become a donor today, you can actually check out the links in the description of this podcast. There'll be a donation link right at the top. You can donate online or send us a check through the mail. Um, and if not, you can also go straight to evidenceforfaith.org slash give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org slash give. With that, we're going to jump into today's study of uh, Keep the Fires Burning, The Prophet Goes to Gab, and I'm going to let Michael take it away. Welcome to Evidence for Faith. So glad you're joining me today in another one of our podcasts dealing with the um, the lessons on how to keep the fires burning. These are lessons from minor characters in the Bible, but major lessons that they can teach us in our walk with God, how to keep our our walk with God going and, and how to be real true Christians. And as we're going through this series today, I'm titled this one, it's called The Prophet Who Goes to Ahab, The Prophet Who Goes to Ahab, and it's all about wearing disguises. And if you're following with your Bible, if you're able to do that, we're going to be taking our text out of the book of 1 Kings, and we're going to be starting around verse 20, but we're going to be moving around a bit in Scripture as we take a look at this. But this is all about uh, wearing disguises, and uh, i got to tell you a story uh, to begin with on this one. Back, It goes back when I was, back when the earth was cooling, and I was a, um, in junior high. But anyway, the time of year that the story takes place, it was Halloween. Halloween. Really, what a holiday for deception, huh? Um, It's a time of year for deception and for harmless pranks. I recall back when I was in middle school, junior high, one Halloween that, well, I took advantage of wearing disguises. You see, my best friend David, who lived next door to me, and I planned on, as we usually did, we went trick-or-treating together, but we're going to do it a little bit different this year. We were planning it out now, like a couple of days ahead of time. We both remembered, and as we're talking about the um, uh, trick-or-treating the year before, we remembered a few houses that year <clears throat> that, that gave away special treats, um, things like money. Uh, they gave away excuse me, extra large candy bars or other such things that were just out of the ordinary, things that were really special. And we decided that this year we were going to hit these houses more than once. In the past, we tried it the year before, but the owners would recognize us when we would come back to try and get a second handout, and they would refuse to give us the handout. Uh, So this year we came up with the plan, 
to carry with us each three additional costumes. Um, we would have the one we're wearing, but we would have uh, other costumes that we would uh, carry with us um, so that we could change into those when we found certain treats that we liked at certain homes. And, and I'll tell you, it all worked perfectly. Um, when we found a house, in other words, that was, say, for instance, this house was giving away $1 bills. Um, when we noticed that they placed a $1 bill in our paper sack, we would simply go around to the side of the house, change into another costume. Then we would reappear at the door, for, ring the doorbell or knock on the door for a second handout, fooling the homeowners. We would then go back around the side of the house and change again. And then we would go back up to the door and we got them again. We, we got another one. So we did this. On this Halloween, we did this repeatedly. Oh, my gosh. We were... We never got caught doing this. Nobody ever, ever said, wait a minute, weren't you here before? They never did that because we didn't talk much. I uh, just go up there, trick or treat, or just mumble something and just hold the bag out and they just dump it in there. We made a tremendous haul that night. I'll never forget that. It's probably the most I ever came home with on a, a trick or treat night that we did. But anyway, that was his kids long, long time ago. Anyway. We sometimes come in contact with people who are like wearing disguises and are wearing them. Matter of fact, wearing them so so well, we're actually taken in by them. Some know the, the right terms with the costumes that they wear, the disguise that they're wearing. They know the right words to use um, and the vocabulary to use to promote their deception. And, and some dress the part so very well. I remember back in drama in theater when I used to do these in high school and college and, and um, even in community theater. Disguises are very helpful to set the mood, to set the scene, and, and make everything seem real. I myself has been involved in scores of productions over my life, um, and I know that wearing a disguise can really help, shall we say, sell the play or the character to the audience. I have masqueraded in in past productions as the lion in The Wizard of Oz, where my wife, Denise, and I designed and she sewed the costume actually together. We put this thing and even made it with a, completely with a movable tail. I've masqueraded in plays as a pirate. I have been a town drunk. I have been a sheriff, um, a detective. I have played Santa Claus. I have played a butler. I have dressed and played a chef. I have been a prince. I have been a soldier and a host of biblical characters. And oh, I can't even remember all the different things, um, different characters that I've played. I've played uh, Davy Crockett and, and other historical people. There, there's just so many I have done in the past, and I always had a costume when I did these things. What's more, and this is where, you know, I mean, as soon as I would, you know, I just put it this way. I never tried to pass myself off as the character after the play is over, well, outside of maybe going to a, a restaurant afterwards and trying to, you know, like a cast party in character. I did do that on a couple of productions and stuff. But never once did I just on my own just try to pass myself off as going around in town or going to work dressed in those characters um, and, and act like that character, trying to, to in, impress people that I am that kind of person, uh, with the exception maybe as a pirate. I've done that a couple of times, I guess. But anyway, that's a different story. What's more, no one ever, ever assumed I was really a lion or I was a butler or that I was Joseph or, or a Roman soldier. 
And I mean, sometimes characters are very easy um, to put in, uh, get into and wear the costume. I one time did a um, at a, um, a camp in the Northwoods where I used to work. I dressed as Herod and came out and I had shaved my, my beard. If you know me, I have a beard. I shaved my beard and had wigs on. I put on theatrical makeup, put on a different type of beard. And I dressed up as uh, Herod the Great and came out. And people knew that it was going to be probably me doing this, but even afterwards, when I got done with on with the performance, I went backstage and took off all the makeup, put my own clothes on, and went back out. Um, and then over in the dining hall, people were coming up to me and saying, how come you weren't there? Um, I thought, we were expecting to have you as the guy who played Herod. Who was it who played Herod? And they were in earnest. They, they didn't even recognize that it was me. Um, I talked with a, a different accent and everything. I totally fooled the people. But I never once ever thought I was Herod the Great. You know, you don't take on the performance when the performance is over the, the characters uh, you don't the people don't see the character anymore they see the real me well that's how it's supposed to be but today we don't have that we have and this has actually gone on for centuries people wear disguises and the bible has a few stories of people wearing disguises two in fact, deal with King Ahab, the evil King Ahab, and uh, dealing with a prophet named Micaiah. Um, two times disguises are mentioned in this story, and let's take a look at it. Now, this is going to be from 1 Kings chapter 20, verses 35 through 43. Um, we're going to start here, but we're going to be moving through um, a lot of this, this book um, with these characters, because they're covered in quite a few different chapters. But we're going to talk about this story here and something that happens. Now, I said the name Micaiah. Actually, he's not mentioned here by name, but Josephus, the Jewish historian, says that this was the name of this prophet. So, let's. I'm, I'm just, for simplicity's sake, instead of just saying the unnamed prophet, the unnamed prophet, I'm just going to say it's Micaiah when we're talking. But this is how the scripture reads. So again, 1 Kings chapter 20, verses 35 through 43 reads, And a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his fellow at the command of the Lord, Strike me, please. But the man refused to strike him. Then he said to him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as you have gone from me, a lion shall strike you down. And as soon as he had departed from him, a lion met him, and struck him down. Then he found another man and said, Strike me, please. And the man struck him, struck him and wounded him. So the prophet departed and waited for the king by the way, disguising himself with a bandage over his eyes. As the king passed, he cried to the king and said, Your servant went in, went out into the midst of the battle, and behold, a soldier turned and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. And as your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. The king said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. Then he hurriedly to, he hurried to take the bandage away from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. And he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have let go out of your hand the man whom I had devoted to destruction, therefore your life shall be for his, and for your people 
for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house vexed and sullen and came to Samaria. Now, this is an interesting story. And we sometimes hear this maybe back in Sunday school as kids and stuff. But sometimes there's a few things in here that just seem a little confusing and a little hard to understand. The story begins earlier, actually, in the chapter before when king um, of Assyria or Aram. Um, his name is King Ben-Hadad. Uh, Ben-Hadad uh, invades Israel. So the king of Syria invades Israel. God's prophets alerted King Ahab of this military venture over the course of a few battles. Uh, Ahab defeats and captures Ben-Hadad. According to God, Ahab was to kill King Ben-Hadad, but instead spares his life and signs a treaty with him, a treaty that Ben-Hadon would break. Ben-Hadon um, was supposed to die, but Ahab spares him. Why? To secure a buffer nation between his country, Israel, and a new upcoming world power called Assyria. He did this for political reasons. So he neglected God's command and set up a political ally to the northeast, that's what's going on in this story. Ahab had accomplished the destruction of the Armenian army as God commanded, but he refused to follow all of his commands. He spared the life of the enemy king um, to make a political gain. That's what it was all about. Now, God's response to this disobedience by King Ahab was to have uh, one of his prophets disguise himself as a common soldier who appeared to be wounded in battle, and who pleads for the king to hear his case and have clemency. Ahab listens to this prophet, not knowing it's a prophet of God, listens to this man, and the thing is, King Ben-Hadon is right there in his chariot with him, because he spared his life. He's riding in his chariot with him, these two kings. And King Ahab pronounces judgment on him, not mercy. He condemns the disguised prophet, who then takes off the disguise and shows Ahab who he truly is, and now tells him what God has in store for him. Now, this is often the part of the story that gets the attention, but I want you to look carefully at the beginning of the passage again. Let's just start off at the beginning of this and take a look. Going back up to verse 35, we read, A certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his fellow at the command of the Lord, Strike me, please. But the man refused to strike him. Then he said to him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as you have gone from me, a lion will strike you down. And as soon as he departed from him, a lion met him and struck him down. Now, this is an interesting part of the story. The prophet here is not identified by name, as we already mentioned. He's not identified by name. But the ancient Jewish first century historian Josephus, in his works of Josephus, he actually tells us the name. He, he talks about this story, and he gives us a name of the prophet. Now, we don't know if this is 100% accurate. Josephus is not inspired by God, as the Bible is. So, so it's, it might not be, but it's most likely this was this prophet's name, Micaiah. Um, quoting out of Josephus' works, it reads, a, But a certain prophet whose name was Micaiah came to one of the Israelites, bade him to smite him on the head. For by doing, he would please God. But when he would not do so, he foretold to him that since he disobeyed the commands of God, he should meet a lion and be destroyed by him. That's right out of Josephus. 
So the prophet tells his friend and companion to strike him with the sword. The friend refuses to strike him with the sword. This is in a direct violation of God's word. As a result, he paid for it with his life. Now, <laughs> something sort of scary here in a way. If God kills the good man, the prophet's friend, the friend of Micaiah, just for disobeying this little command, how much more will God punish Ahab for disobeying or will he punish us for disobeying? Micaiah then turns to a bystander and tells him to smite him in obedience. Well, no doubt. I mean, <laughs> this, this guy's going to take this a little bit more seriously. Verse 37 in this chapter reads, Then he found another man and said to him, he said to him, Strike me, please. And the man struck him and struck him and wounded him. I mean, well, why wouldn't he? He just saw the other guy get eaten by a lion because he disobeyed. Well, I, I'll take out my sword and whack you in the head. Um, so looking to the works of Josephus, Josephus again tells us that Micaiah was struck in the head thus making the bandage cover his face to deceive Ahab. So we don't get that part of the story in the Bible necessarily. We're told to disguise, um, but apparently it's covering the face, and that's how he tricks Ahab, because Ahab does not recognize Micaiah until he takes the disguise off. The prophet tells the king the curse that is on him, verse 42, and he said, Thus says the Lord, because you have let go out of your hand the man who I said was devoted to destruction, therefore your life shall be for his and your people for his people. So Ahab's response was not to seek repentance for disobeying God. Uh, that's what David did. David was actually remorseful and regretted what he did, not Ahab. And again, Josephus, the historian Josephus, records David, or I'm sorry, Ahab's response on at this point of the story. According to Josephus, we have this: upon which Ahab was very angry at the prophet and gave commandment that he should be put in prison and kept there. Now, that's interesting. That's right out of the works of Josephus. So according to Josephus, Micaiah was in prison for this disobedience, this little disguise act that took place here. Um, this event occurred probably, where uh, historians would think, according to the Bible, biblical record, probably around 900 BC that this uh, battle took place and stuff. And Ahab would soon be killed in battle, uh, just as the prophet Elijah and even this Micaiah had prophesied. Um, and they did this maybe about three years earlier in 897, um, or I'm sorry, about 897, that's when Ahab would die in battle. So this is just about three years or so beforehand. Even in Ahab's death, a disguised is utilized again. And it's funny because Micaiah is on the scene for this disguise story too. Let's take a look at uh, the next chapter, um, 1 Kings chapter 22, um, verses 1 through 8. And it reads, for three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hands of the king of Syria. And he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people is your people, my horses is your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, um, but first, inquire first of the words of the Lord. 
Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into your hand, into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah the son of Imla. But I hate him, for he never prophesies as good concerning me, but evil. Now, where's Micaiah? He's He's in prison, probably still in prison from this time, that uh, like three years before when he insulted Ahab. Um, but he's in prison, and Ahab has him summoned to the court. On the way to the court, the messengers advise Micaiah to tell the king the same thing that all these false prophets were telling him. Um, that is, to go into battle for victories is, is assured. So what's been happening? you got the big banquet hall here. Ahab calls in 400 of his prophets, prophets of Baal and, and Asher or whatever, and they're all there, and they're saying to him, to King Ahab, yeah, go to Ramoth Gilead, you're going to have a great victory. So uh, this person, whoever, this little entourage who goes to get Micaiah and bring him to the king, says, this is what everybody's saying. So you should probably say the same thing. It'd probably be good for you. Um, to say the same thing that these false prophets are saying, that, to tell them to go into battle because victory is assured. Now, we pick this up in uh, 1 Kings 22, 13, and 14. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your words be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Wow. Micaiah responds to this escort that he's only going to speak what God tells him to. That's amazing. I mean, verse 14, Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, I will speak. That is, that's a strong statement because he's going to be going against 400 people and even two kings on this one. Now, some people have found that the comments of Micaiah states in front of the king as confusing. Let's, let's pick up the story now in verses 15 through 17. Let's, Micaiah comes into the courtroom, and here we are back in, in Scripture. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. Now, this is, like I say, one of these confusing parts of Scripture people have often asked me about to explain this, because it appears at first that Micaiah is yielded to peer pressure, because he's repeating what the 400 false prophets are saying. I mean, his, his statement is the same as what they were saying. But actually, this is not the case. Judging from Ahab's response, and later the response of the false prophet, Zedekiah, Micaiah is making fun of and mocking these false prophets. In other words, that response that he makes is sarcasm and mockery. 
That's what's in his statement, to go to victory. And next, he gets serious then, and he makes his message plain. And, and look what he has the guts to tell King Ahab, picking up at verse 17, going through 23. And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? One said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. And he said, you are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. Now, I like this part of the story. You know why? It shows what a real man is like. A real man is not afraid to stand up for what is truth. In today's world, oh my gosh, we see too many people constantly twisting and perversing the truth simply to make things politically correct or to fit in with the right crowd or to, to make it so we don't offend anybody. We distort things so much. In verse 6, we read that there were about 400 false prophets declaring a great victory. These prophets were under the influence of demonic forces because it talks about lying. God doesn't lie. This is a demonic force, a demonic spirit that's going to go into these because these false prophets that was all in actually back into demon worship of these things and their leader, um, they're under the influence of the uh, demonic forces. Their leader even went to the extreme of making some special decorations called iron horns for this special occasion, for this banquet. Even so, this man of God does not wear a mask now or even quiver concerning the truth. Standing up in front of everyone, he openly declares the truth. He doesn't sugarcoat it or make it gentle on everyone's ears. He tells it as it is. He doesn't distort the truth. This indicates that Micaiah is not afraid of standing up for the truth and God's word when hundreds are saying something different. Forget about peer pressure, social niceties. This man will not bow to distort anything of the truth. He's wearing no mask. I wish we could be more like that. And as is true in most, most cases, when someone does this and stands up and speaks the truth or stands up um, for God uh, and, and doesn't back down, they get insulted and they get punished. And that's what happens to Micaiah. Verses uh, 24 through 28, 28, we start to read in here uh, of this happening. It starts off here. Then Zedekiah came up. No, he's the, um, the, the priest leader of all these guys. Zedekiah came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, how did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? How common is it for those who follow God to be persecuted? Zedekiah 
did not believe Micaiah because everyone in the kingdom knew, get this now, that Ahab was going to die in Jezreel, not at the battle of Ramoth Gilead. Why? Well, first of all, where is this? Jezreel is 45 miles due west of Ramoth Gilead. And they all knew this. How did they know that, that this is where Ahab's supposed to die? Because the prophecy of that came from Elijah, the great prophet Elijah. Even critics of Elijah knew this guy, whatever he says was going to happen. So Elijah said that, that um, King Ahab would die at Jezreel. So this prophecy from, Ze- uh, from prophet Elijah, of whom Zedekiah knew, um, they're contemporaries. He knew he was a powerful prophet and a speaker of truth. I mean, if you go back, you want to look at it in First Kings chapter 21, verses 17 through 19, we hear, or we can read this exact prophecy being spoke by Elijah. Um, it reads, starting at verse 17, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down and meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. From this prophecy, we know that Ahab is going to die at Jezreel. Everybody heard it. Everybody knows. And what Elijah says is going to happen. So he's supposed to die at Jezreel, not at Ramoth Gilead. So these false prophets can say, yeah, Ahab, go. You're going to have a tremendous victory because you're not going to die there. So it would appear, now get this, it would appear then that Micaiah is wrong in saying that Ahab is going to die. When he talks about um, sheep scattered on a hill with no master, he's saying the king's dead. So Micaiah is saying that King Ahab's going to die in the battle, but wait a minute, that's 45 miles away from where Elijah says, and everybody knows, Ahab's going to die. But what we're going to see as we continue this story, and if you are familiar with this whole passage here, concerning Ahab's death, you're going to see that both prophets of God, Elijah and Micaiah, are both correct. God does like the impossible here, and gets both of them to take place. So with that, how does our man Micaiah respond to the criticism? Now here's what happens in verse 25. Micaiah says, Behold, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. Now remember, Zedekiah just said, When did God ever come leave me to speak to you? And he says, When you go into an inner chamber to hide, you're going to find your answer. Now, many people find that response, again, very confusing. What is Micaiah talking about? Well, Zedekiah has distorted the truth. I mean, demon um, forces are at work here. He said that Ahab would live and be victorious at Ramoth Gilead. Even so, Zedekiah knew, as everyone else, that Ahab is going to die at Jezreel, as Elijah said. But Micaiah is saying that when Ahab does die because of this battle, everyone will know that Zedekiah was lying about all of this. So when he's saying that when King Ahab does die, when he does um, find uh, not victory, but he gets defeated here, and when he dies, Zedekiah, you're going to know 
and everybody's going to know. Everyone will know you were lying. This would totally disgrace Zedekiah because he is proclaiming a great victory. Micaiah knows it is not going to be a great victory, that this is going to result in King Ahab's death. So he's telling Zedekiah, when it happens, you're going to be like disgrace. You're going to go into hiding because you're in such disgrace. And then you'll find your answer. That's what he's saying. Again, we can look at the, um, the works of uh, Josephus to find out more about this. So let's pick up um, from the works of Josephus and read what he wrote on this as a historian. But Zedekiah, one of those false prophets, came near and exhorted him not to hearken to Micaiah, for he did not at all speak the truth, as a demonstration of which he, ins he insistence, insisted in what Elijah had said, who was a better prophet in foretelling the future than Micaiah, for he foretold that dogs would lick his blood in the city of Jezreel, in the field of Naboth, as they licked the blood of Naboth, who by his means was there stoned to death by the multitude, that therefore it was plain that this Micaiah was a liar, as contradicting a greater prophet than himself, and saying that he would be slain at three days' journey distance. But Micaiah replied that Zedekiah in a few days should go from one secret chamber to another to hide himself, that he might escape the punishment of his lying. So now catch this. Um, Zedekiah knows that, um, does not believe Micaiah, because he says everybody knows that Elijah is telling the truth. So, but Micaiah is saying, no, when you see what's going to happen here, God is going to do this. God's going to have him be defeated. He's not going to win. People will all know because of this that Zedekiah, you are a liar and you will be punished for sending the king. So Zedekiah is going to bear the punishment of all of this too. And that's why he's going to go hiding um, so he can escape his, his punishment of lying. But even so, Micaiah is now under arrest again. He's escorted to prison. Picking up in verse 26, we read, And the king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah, take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Hear, all you people. Okay, isn't that cool? King Ahab says, put him in prison till I come back in peace. Micaiah says, you come back in peace. God wasn't speaking through me. But then he turns to everybody and says, everybody, listen to what I just said. We'll see who's telling the truth. This is the last we read of Micaiah. Um, but it's not the last part of wearing a disguise no, that comes up again in this story. Um, Ahab is now in doubt. I mean, he has to be in doubt because um, he knows Micaiah is a prophet, but he also knows what Elijah has said. So Ahab is in doubt about what to do. And we know that because of his actions. He's not totally trusting Micaiah. He's really focusing on, um, because that's just one prophet as opposed to the 400 with Zedekiah and these others. Even so, he makes a very strange request of King Jehoshaphat. 
And in verses 29, this is still chapter 22, 29 through 30, we read, So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, uh, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your royal robes. And the king of Israel, Israel disguised himself and went into battle. So now Ahab is going to wear a disguise. So he's not going to look like the king. He's going to dress like an ordinary soldier. Again, if we go to Josephus, we get a little bit interesting details of this historic event, um, listening to the historian. Um, because Josephus records that Ahab talked Jehoshaphat into wearing his own kingly robes and to go into battle actually dressed as King Ahab. We read from the works of Josephus, Now Ahab and Jehoshaphat had agreed that Ahab should lay aside his royal robes, but that the king of Jerusalem should put on his, that's Ahab's, proper habit and stand before the army in order to disprove by this artifice what Micaiah had foretold. Now, this is just amazing. I mean, I have to wonder, how stupid is King Jehoshaphat? He's just heard a word of God saying that Ahab is going to be killed. And Ahab says, hey, I'm not going to wear my royal robes. You go dressed as me and go into battle dressed as me and, and everything. And that way, you know, um, I won't, I'll be a lot safer and stuff like that. But the thing is, it gets me is Jehoshaphat says, hey, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, give me your clothes here. I'll put on your stuff and go. I mean, how dumb can this guy be? That's what he did. So before the battle begins, Ben-Hadad now had ordered his men to single out Ahab in order to kill him. See, he's, he's assigned so many soldiers just to kill King Ahab. But with King Jehoshaphat wearing Ahab's rose, they, robes, they obviously pursue the wrong man. Before reaching Jehoshaphat, they saw their mistake and then they turn away. But one soldier, and Josephus actually gives us the name of this guy. His name was Naaman, who will appear in another Bible story. Shot an arrow at random into the air, and it struck Ahab, giving him a mortal wound. Didn't kill him, wounded him. And he rode out of the battle, and he headed for home in Jezreel, where he died. Ahab wore the disguise of a common soldier, but God would not allow his disguise to save him. Isn't this interesting? Because this is exactly what Micaiah had said and what Elijah had said. Micaiah said he would not be victorious there, that this was going to result in death. He gets mortally wounded there, is taken to Jezreel, where he dies exactly as Elijah said. Yes even though they wore disguises. Disguises are common, too, in church. They really are. I hate to say that, but they are. Among Christians, many Christians wear disguises. Some wear them really well, matter of fact, too well, and too often. Even so, God knows who they really are. I mean, people will fake out us. Christians often get faked out and stuff by people who claim to be walking with God. They really aren't. And it's sad that some people will wear a disguise when it comes to walking with, with God. I mean, this is terrible that this happens. I mean, Paul wrote about this, and, and uh, New Testament writers wrote, wrote about wolves entering you know, into the church. 
and under the influence uh, uh, are appearing, I won't say under the influence, but appearing as they are working for God, but they're not. This has been going on for a long time. And today we see uh, this, in a, this so common. It's happening so often today. I want to close with a little story again. I, I heard Chuck uh, Swindoll tell once about a guy, um, tell a story about a fellow by the name of Lauren Sani, who was with the Navigators for many, many years. And this happened a while ago. But um, Lauren Sani told Chuck Swindoll this story, and Chuck Swindoll shared it on the air. And to me, this sort of sums up what we're talking about here. Uh, ministering on the campus, uh, Lauren Sani was... Uh, at the Air Force Academy and ministering there, where officers are in the making of being trained. And because of this, as military things are, there's very much competition and so much peer pressure. One of the young men who had got a Bible class going was very much involved in its success. And it seemed as though month after month, the whole thing revolved around this young man. And he continued to keep it going, pushing and motivating others to be involved in this Bible group. Finally, the, the Bible group did grow. It got established and started growing and, and growing bigger and bigger. And he was acknowledged then as the leader of the group. On one occasion, one early morning, as Lauren was talking with the whole group about the importance of devotion and time with God, he said, Young man, he's calling the leader's name here, tell us about your walk. Tell us what it is that keeps your heart warm. The young leader blinked a few times through tears and looked around. Against the pressure of the moment, he said, Sir, I don't have any time with God. He said, as a matter of fact, I'm a fake. And he admitted in front of the whole group, that he was simply driven by this need to be known and viewed as the leader, when in reality, there was no authenticity behind it. Now, you may be shocked by that story, but you shouldn't be. People have been wearing disguises and faking Christianity and their walk with God since the first century. What about you? Are you wearing a disguise? Are you wearing a disguise to fit in with Christian group? Are you wearing a disguise to get somewhere in your company or in your organization where you work? Or with just your friends? Do you wear a disguise? I mean, I think a lot of people do. Maybe even sometimes people don't even realize they are. It's really sad when this happens. Help us, God, not to do that. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we ask that you help us to take off our disguises, to let people see who we really are. But Lord, to help us to be walking close with you, not to give in to peer pressure, which is usually what does this. This pride issue that we have, that we have to be the best or we have to be the leader. Lord, I know if you want your followers to be leaders, we don't have to work that hard at it. You're gonna put us in those positions. And forgive us when we strive upon our own to manipulate people to get what we want or to get into a position we want. For we know you're God, you're a God that is sovereign in control of everything and you know everything. You know us deep down, deeper in some cases we know ourselves. Help us to do a little self-examining, 
And Lord, help us always to focus on walking with you and being truthful. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining me in this lesson, and I hope you enjoyed this and learn something from it that will impact your life. And we'd love to hear from you. Don't be afraid to contact us at Evidence for Faith. We'd love to hear your uh, comments. We'd love to hear your questions or, or anything. Um, and if you feel led to help us in our ministry, um, you can go to our website and find ways of doing that. So until we meet again, take care and may God bless. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you to our donors who make this program possible. Evidence for Faith is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry based in the USA. You can support this broadcast by donating online using the links in the description. And don't forget to leave us a comment, a review, likes, and shares to feed the algorithm and help others find this content. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.